Make sure to give my dad a five-star review. Get, make sure to like and subscribe to his YouTube. And thank you for listening and enjoy the show. show. <laughs> like these laws saying saying you can call Child Protective Services. Great. Now the public knows that's a thing. When I work in a congregation and someone's mad about the color of the carpet, they call CPS and say my kids are being raised by a freak and should be taken away. Jeez. In San Francisco, <laughs> right? So when my when I travel with my family, <laughs> we carry a binder because hospitals don't have to treat me or my family. I carry a binder that says that my kids have been seen by therapists and psychologists and that they are and their teachers that says they are safe so that if I travel across state lines, um, my kids won't be taken away just because I happen to be in a public space or was staying in a hotel where someone is not okay with me. And so I like it would be my dream day. To not have to think about those. Like, I have to look up if I can go to the bathroom in a place where I might have a bishop meeting if I fly somewhere. Hey, welcome, Faithful Politics listeners and viewers. If you're watching us on our YouTube channel, I am your political host, Will Wright, and we are joined by your faithful host, Pastor Josh Bertram. How's it going, Josh? Mute button gets gets you all the doing time. Doing well, doing okay. well. <laughs> got, it. got it. So uh, this this uh, this week we're we're joined by um, the Reverend or Bishop uh, Doctor Megan. Oh, you know what? I should have clarified what your how to pronounce your last name. I I don't want to get that wrong. Is it Roar? Yeah, it's Roar, like the noise a lion makes. Got it. Awesome. <laughs> so who's uh, so so Bishop Megan is currently serving as the Bishop of the Sierra Pacific Synod and as the first openly transgender pastor ordained in the Lutheran Church and in a major Christian denomination. She was or they were ordained in 2006. Bishop Megan is one of 18 pastors ordained during the time when the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America or ELCA did not allow LGBT pastors to serve openly. And in 2010, Bishop Megan was one of the first seven pastors received into the ELCA after their policies changed. Um, they also received an honorable mention as an unsung hero of compassion at a ceremony with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, were presented a Medal of Tolerance by the King of Talo in Indonesia. There's a story there I got to ask you about. Uh, received an honorary doctorate about <laughs> from Palo Alto University and had their theology featured in the five, 500th anniversary of the Reformation in Wittenberg, Germany. They've also been featured on Queer Eye, Cosmo, and People, and listed as one of the 22 faith leaders to watch in 2022 by the Centers for American Progress. So thank you so much, Bishop, uh, for being here with us. It's good to be here. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, um, I I, I want to jump into to it because I have so many questions. So, um, for the for our audience's benefit, um, um, when when you say that you are transgender, uh, can we can we just define that for our audience just so they can kind of put things into context a little bit? Sure. Transgender is a an umbrella term for anyone who feels like they live outside of kind of the cultural expectations for how it might be to be male or to be female. So that could be anyone who maybe transitions medically or does not transition medically, someone who um, 
just, you know, like burns their bra and mm-hmm. feels like that's stepping outside of of roles. Um, or it could be someone who maybe was assigned a different sex at birth than the way that they're living in the world. And so um, it has meant different things for me in different parts of my life and might mean different things for me in the future. But as of kind of May of 2022, I think what it means is that I am someone who lives in a a liminal space between uh, kind of those those gender categories of male and female. And um, each day I pick the clothes that I want to wear and, and the way I want to style my hair in, in hopes that people will treat me with kindness. And sometimes they do, but oftentimes they don't, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's, uh, that's a shame. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but, but I'd imagine it's got to be, it, it must feel pretty liberating um, to, you know, just wake up in the morning and, and being able to, to be who you feel you are uh, because that I'd imagine that would also make you a much better Bishop, much better servant to the community because um, you're not necessarily like dealing with a lot of, I don't know, just other, I don't know, other, other external sources trying to tell you who you are. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm curious if we can maybe just expound on, on your journey a little bit um, and, you know, maybe talk us through your, your, your coming out story um, because, because I, 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 I watched you on Queer Eye and I, I thought like your interaction with, um, with Pastor Noah, uh, I mean, it was, it was pretty moving. Like if I'm being honest, like, and, and, and there, there was a comment that there was a question you had asked him where you, you said, you know, but like, would you tell a child that they didn't come out soon enough? And then you started to cry. And, um, and I thought that was super powerful. So I, I, I love for you to just kind of walk us through, you know, kind of your, your journey, um, and especially your journey in the context of your ministry. Yeah. Coming out is some people I think imagine it as like this, like one and done thing. Like, like if you were going to tell someone you wanted to be a dentist and, um, but the reality is, is that it's, it's, it's kind of a lifelong process. And so it can be as, as small as, um, you know, choosing what outfit you're going to wear that day and whether or not it's like for Halloween and you tell someone it's a joke or it's like the truest nature of your heart, the amount that you share or are vulnerable with other people about what you would wear if there were no rules. Um, it, it can be a, a changing journey, right? Uh, think of it this way. There are the choices you would make if we lived in a vacuum and there was no judgment from the planet. There, there might be different choices. Those of us who choose to be in like romantic relationships, we might make choices based on um, like I know that in different parts of my life, I might have worn different clothing because I thought a person I was in a romantic relationship would like me in that shirt or in that whatever, right? Yeah. So there's the choices we make because we want to be in a an embodied physical relationship with other human beings. And some of those choices are what we would choose if we were on that planet in a vacuum. And some of them are like what we would choose because of how we want to per- be perceived and have the world treat us. There's a whole other set of choices that people make which is based on how people in your community would treat you. Um, there's a whole a whole history of people who like wanted to be like Wells Fargo wagon drivers. And so they had to like um, right dress as men in order to be a Wells Fargo wagon driver because that was the only way. Like, so there's the ways that you 
embody yourself because of how you want to be treated by those who are in your community. And then there's this whole other complicated thing called fertility, right? Say in a vacuumed world, I want my body to look and feel and be a certain way. Well, then there are different parts in my life. What amount of fertility do I have to lose to accomplish that? And many of the laws in the United States, for example, if I want to change my ID, would require me to give up fertility almost entirely in order to change an ID. And so it's a really complicated thing. And the way the way that I would describe it is that people disclose on different levels in different categories. So you like might tell your boss part of what your relationship life is like, but most of us don't have bosses where we're telling them everything that would happen on a honeymoon, right? <laughs> we might have different things we disclose to different types of friends, like the friends we had back in high school. Maybe we're not close to them anymore. And at a reunion, we're going to share less mm-hmm. or we might share more. Some of us share more with our family or like our parents uh, than other people do. And so uh, there are people who disclose different information in different parts of their life. And so I am someone who is very high disclosing in my work life, um, not about things that are private, like private parts, but about the fact that I am transgender um, and I, but I have not like necessarily clarified in every situation what that means for the flaps and folds in my body. I don't <laughs> tend to share my prescription history with people. I don't yeah. tend to like, and when some of those choices are complicated, like what do you want your fertility to be for the rest of your life? I might or might not know in any given moment how I'm going to feel when I hit my fifties. Right. right. And so some of my being trans is a work in progress. Some of it is being revealed to myself only based on like how the world treats me or how a partner treats me. And so I think of it like a pilgrimage rather than like a coming out destination, right? A pilgrimage is a sacred place you might travel to and you hope you're going to have this really great experience and this encounter with God. Um, and I think the truth of so many aspects of being trans, like we we might have great wishes for what our body is going to look like after puberty before we go through it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or we might have great wishes for what our body is going to be look like later in life when our hormones pause a little bit yeah. and settle right. down. But we're not in control of all of that. There's so many factors that are outside of it. So oh, yeah, there's no the, the things you wish for yourself before you go through a hormone journey or through a medical journey. Then there's the process of like loving yourself regardless of how your body is and the realities of what's really actually possible for you. Like how many of us would love to have a 12 pack or look like <laughs> that? Have you ever seen that sculpted Jesus statue with the long, flowy, like, (laughs) hair? If that was possible for every human being, maybe a lot of people would pick it. But Mm -hmm. so there's the things that I share with the public. There's the things I share only with those who are intimate in my life. And there are the ways that I um, might have this dream idea of who I was if I could pick from the very beginning. But then there's the reality of the ingredients I got. And so – I, it's a it's a long journey, but what it has meant for me personally is that I talk about it a lot, particularly with the hopes of making it easier and safer for other people to choose where they want to be on their own journey. Oh, that, that, that's so awesome. That's really, really, really uh, um, powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I um. Hey, hey, Josh. Be, be, before you answer your question, your your video for some reason um, is turned off. I don't know if you. It's um, not turned off on my end. Okay. All right. That's so fine. it's Josh, probably Josh recording. Josh looks great right now. Oh, really? 
Yeah, well-trimmed be beard. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what's up with that, dude. Uh, it's okay. Um, <laughs> Carry on. All right. So, yeah, um, what's interesting to me is uh, this is my first in-depth conversation with a trans person. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to learn more and be enlightened. I'm your, like, uh, your, your token white evangelical. So it's really cool to, uh, be able to interact on this level. Um, so thank you. Uh, when you were going in, like describe to me your faith growing up, even moving into, um, your call to ministry. I remember my call to ministry pretty, uh, pretty, um, distinctly. Um, what, what was that relationship with God? Like growing up, what was the relationship with the church? Like growing up just, just talk about that. How'd you end up where you are in terms of, uh, being a bishop? Yeah. When I was, um, in between like five and six, my parents got divorced in a very, um, well, uh, my father was an alcoholic at the time and and um the courts i think gave a 3000 mile restraining order um and so uh it, dear it was kind of a traumatic and topsy turvy time in a kid's life and i remember this moment of of going back into the house where we lived and my dad had like destroyed all the walls and broken a bunch of stuff and and just having this very internal sense that god was with me and i was going to be safe and I couldn't explain to you why. It wasn't like I heard like a booming voice from the sky, but I just knew it. Like I knew it so much that it that it didn't matter. Like that that hymn, no storm can shake my inmost calm is what it felt like. And so from a very young age, I just kind of like knew that God was with me and for me. And it has felt like my life has been a journey of like trying to just like wish that I could explain that feeling to other people, wish that I could bottle it up and and share it with folk um, and trying to find like words for the, uh, this very profound feeling that I had. Um, and so my call to ministry has been a little bit like Jonah where God's like, go be a minister. And I'm like, I don't know about that. That does not seem fun. The world <laughs> does not seem to be interested in someone like me being a minister, but every, every community that I was a part of it, I grew up in South Dakota where it's not known as being the bastion of liberalness. And um, <laughs> and when I was in like high school and college, people were very much against LGBTQ individuals. They were against gay and lesbian people. They were against trans people out of this idea that like there was this fear, fearful bad person who was against God. And the way that they stereotyped these people like – how could you not be against them? Like they seem like very terrible people. And if I ever met them, I would be mad about those people too. Um, I had never, ever met someone like that um, who was all the stereotypes that people had imagined into those, those people. <laughs> um, but if I did, I pretty sure I'd be on the same side as, as the folk who want them not to be ministers. They sound terrible. <laughs> uh, but in South Dakota, you also have to be best friends with people who you disagree with. Because if there's a big snowstorm, inevitably that person you have not been nice to is the one who's going to drive by <laughs> when you're stuck in a ditch. And so um, we're very like live and let live, but we trust you more if you like say your differences to each other's faces, if mm. that makes sense. And so people in the midst of voting and debating about whether or not gay and lesbian people could be pastors 
would literally in their speeches say, except for Megan, we think Megan clearly should be a pastor. And I was like, what are you – like I don't even <laughs> – the time, it wasn't even a thing I was like fighting for. That's um, funny. But it was just this message I kept getting. And then um, I decided that I didn't want to have to be like a poster child of LGBTQ issues. So like, haha, in retrospect, right? But um, – <laughs> And so I decided to work at a shelter for for kids who had been abused and neglected, aged three to twelve, in a residential home. And I thought wow. that's the same thing as being a pastor. I don't need the approval of a church body. I can just care for people in the world. And there was a a child in that facility. We'll call him Joshua. He had tried to take his life twelve times, and he was six. Oh my gosh! He wouldn't tell anyone why. And then one day he came to me and, and he said, do you want to know why I'm doing this? And I said, yes, of course. And he said, because I uh, went to church and the pastor said that if I'm bad, I'm going to go to hell. And I want to die before I'm so bad that I have to go to hell. Because he's oh like, gosh. I just keep doing bad things. And I, and I was – I had this feeling of like even if I'm a crappy pastor, it would be better for there to be one less pulpit that's going to make a six-year-old believe that God yeah. would, would rather they were dead than like try in this really hard world. And so I drove hmm. across the country from South Dakota to Berkeley and I just started kind of the process of like, okay, how can I – I feel like most of my process was not like how do I get right with God because I had always – I had always felt that inside of me and I believed it really deeply when Paul said nothing, neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come can ever separate you from the love of God. And the relationships that I had always had were faithful relationships and were felt like they were in line with what God was up to. It made me feel like I understood love better and understood God better and understood creation better. Um, and so um, just wanted to figure out what what kind of training do I need so that the next time – because inevitably someone was going to like burst into tears next to me on the public transit and need yeah. a pastor. And so I, I felt like God was always going to put me in the situation where people were going to need a pastor and then I would happen to be there. Like that was sort of my call to ministry was you're either going to learn on the fly <laughs> or you you can go to school with people who can like help you – you know, deeply look at the Bible and um, have conversations with people so that I could become, for me, it was about becoming better at articulating uh, what seemed so palpably true about God uh, all the time. And that's that, right? God was with me. I believed it deeply when we sang um, about God being able to save a wretch like me, like that's what amazing grace is. And so I thought, you know, like me being a pastor is not about me passing some sort of litmus test of being perfect enough or being better than any other human on the planet. It's more like a witness, if anything, that if God can use someone like me who confuses people based on how my body is or my identity is, then there's nothing that God couldn't use for God's own purpose. And so there are days when when it's a lot because people feel very certain that I have never, ever contemplated that I might be wrong and that God might be mad at me. Um, but I have – for me, it's been very helpful that there are texts like like Psalm 30 that say God's anger is a moment and God's love is forever. Because like I have the most at stake if I'm wrong about whether or not I'm right from – Right. If, if I'm right with God. And so I, I feel like at this point in my life, I have no problem saying I have dedicated my life to caring for the homeless and hungry 
and doing the best I can to love everyone in this world. And if that's not good enough, like I'm okay with that because I did the best I could to like love my neighbor and to try to love myself as I am. And um, I feel okay having that conversation with God about about trying, right? Yeah. And I would feel less okay with that if I spent a lot of time – if I spent most of the time of my life um, trying to put my effort into being different rather than loving better. I would feel less okay with that conversation. And so that's just where I've had to kind of go all in with God. Like I'm going to go all in and try to love my neighbors. And if it means people are going to make fun of me, well, there's a lot of scripture texts about how that's supposed to happen that way, right? And so uh, that's that's sort of how it's worked for me. And, and I think because I've um, – like my first 12 years as a pastor, uh, I spent feeding the homeless and hungry in San Francisco. Um, I spent time as a chaplain for the San Francisco Police Department, uh, caring for people in big disasters and um, providing grief support for people on on their worst day um, when they need nine one one to come out. And so I feel like part of of my journey to, I guess, becoming bishop is is people just noticing that I'm going to do my best to love people. That it's not that, I, and that I feel like I can love anyone where they are as they are. Um, I can encourage people to do better, just like I'll encourage my kids to try to eat healthier, but I'm still going to love them <laughs> if they oh, can't yeah. yeah. That makes a lot. That makes a lot of, uh, that makes a lot of, uh, a lot of sense. You know, I, one thing I was thinking about, I'm a, I'm a big Bible guy, big Bible nerd mm-hmm. and I love it. And I've, you know, devoted my life essentially to trying to learn it and teach it and be in pastoral ministry myself, but even become even really like um, interested in the scholarly pursuit of, of scripture. And um, what I'm really interested right now in hermeneutics, how we get from text to our life right now. And my question for you, you know, obviously, you know, we don't have to, um, walk on eggshells. We know that um, there are a lot of people that would think that um, what you, what you represent or, or, or the kind of experience you have, like, like you've alluded to, isn't legitimate or, or it's even wrong or even evil, which sitting here and talking to you, it's hard to imagine calling you evil, but you know, I, you know, people kind of do it, do what they think, but um, what walk me through your hermeneutical method or your uh, method of interpretation, how do you approach the Bible? And not, I don't even mean this specifically about those passages that are the controversial pa- pa- passages surrounding homosexuality and things like that. Um, but I'm talking about just in general, how do you approach the scriptures? How do you bring it to your life today? Um, what place do the scriptures kind of have in your life? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, Josh Bertram here, faithful host of the Faithful Politics Podcast. I want to let you know about a compelling new spinoff, the Faith Roundtable, where I'll be interviewing top faith leaders, theologians, and scholars to unpack the pressing issues that are shaping the church in America today. We'll dive into topics like faith and public life, social justice, and how we can engage our communities more effectively. Make sure you don't miss any of our enlightening conversations by subscribing to it on our YouTube channel. 
Join me at the Faith Roundtable, where deep discussion meets thoughtful insight. Yeah, I I do a lot of prayer and a lot of reading, a lot of Bible study, and um, I like the ways that some of the themes of the Bible kind of like flow together. Like, um, I've been dwelling a lot in the scriptures about about good shepherds, right? And you see it all through scripture. Jesus talks about being a good shepherd quite a bit. And for me, like seeing the way some of those metaphors and those themes flow between different books of the Bible can be really illuminating. Like there's a whole section about like sorting sheeps and goats, right? And if you just read the part that Jesus is talking about sorting sheeps and goats, it would be really easy to like apply that to lots of different types of people. But if you go back to Ezekiel 34, where it explains why the good shepherd is trying to sort sheep and goats. It's about people who were not sharing food. It's about leaders who are selfish. And it's about um, sheep and goats that are are harming each other by sticking their horns in each other. And, and what the good shepherd does in those texts is like, basically gives them a timeout. Like I give my kids a timeout when they can't play nice with each other. I separate them. Uh, but it, it sounds more like a God who separates people when they're harming each other and then brings them back together when they're done, right? More like a parent who is trying to figure out how to live in a world that you don't let people keep harming each other over and over and over again. Um, and you find a way to do that. And then it keeps going in that text and talks about God bringing a new covenant of peace, this idea that God's going to restore things, God's going to bring enough food to everyone, God's going to... Um, God's basically going to make it so that the ones who have been dividing each other are going to like understand love in such a palpably big way that they're not going to need to make those divisions anymore. And so that's usually what I find is that if there is like a text that is scary or a text that makes me be curious about something that I just try to read more texts, like I just try to read more about it. And then the other thing um, that I love is that I haven't found, I mean, Jesus is pretty close to perfect, maybe all the way perfect, but like, depends on if you ask his mom on the day when he says you can't come in because my family are the people inside this room or not, but <laughs> right, Jesus is pretty close to perfect, but there aren't very many other characters in the Bible who are all the way perfect, right? Maybe if you just take a snippet of their story, you're like, that person's really great. But if you do it a little longer, you can find people who are motley characters who sometimes get it right. They sometimes get it wrong. And even if they are the greatest, like like King David's talked about pretty great throughout the whole scripture. But there's a lot of Deuteronomic laws, like don't get your ears pierced. Um, it's slaves who pierce the ears of people because it claims them, right? So don't get your ears pierced. That's cross-dressing, it says in the scriptures. Well, we have in, in the scriptures that David goes out and gets his ears pierced, right? And gets his ears pierced because what an amazing symbol that a king would say that they are a slave to God, right? So David does it for purposes that are oriented towards God and that seems to make it be okay, or at least okay within the full lifespan of David. Like you can do things that are transgressive of some of the rules, it seems, in scripture and still be a person who's working it out. Now, it's hard to know which pieces of the stories are the ones that we're supposed to like learn from and not replicate and which ones are the ones that show that God can use full-rounded people in all the ways. 
Um, but I like to think that if you read long enough, there's probably for every rule in the Bible, a character in the Bible who has broken that rule and God still finds a way to be in relationship with them. And that for me is really profound. Um, this idea that uh, the stuff we don't have have figured out, God reconciles, and the stuff we think we have re- figured out, God rec- – like that God's always in the process of reconciling no matter what's happening in that. So that's a big part of the way that I like to read scripture. And then the other thing that I always just try to do is read it in community, right? There might be the thing that I think about, but I need other people to help me think about it. And so one of the things that I've been talking about in community is – What does it mean in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus says there's three kinds of eunuchs, right? Eunuchs was a way of saying people who were modified outside of their gender, they typically were working in fancy places. What does it mean when Jesus says there's three types? There's the kind who are born that way. There's the kind who are made that way, which which was when they were conquered in war. They tried to conquer people by making the men infertile and impregnating the women, right? So making mixed populations where the conquerors, you can't hate your conquerors if now they're the parents and the grandparents of the people in your community. Mm -hmm. So there's the the people who were born that way, the people who are brutalized and become that way not by their choice. And then Jesus says, there's those who are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. What the heck is that? (laughs) And can I be that, Mm. right? Because... If Jesus says there is a way that we can live through something that's hard, or maybe even if it's not desirable to to everyone, but there's a way you can live that way for the sake of the heaven, then let's figure out as a community how we can do that. And there's a lot of conversations about what you shouldn't be, um, but I wish there were lots of conversations about how how in whatever state someone finds themselves in, they can find a way to love God there. And maybe like my kids eating broccoli, we can encourage people to make healthier choices in the future, but like, let's love you where you are, right? It says in scripture, unlike that that 12-pack Jesus with the Fabio hair, <laughs> Matthew's gospel says they often made fun of Jesus for being a glutton, mm. which means he was probably overweight, mm. right? <laughs> But how often have people um, thought about their body being a temple in a way that it meant they needed to be athletically fit? And maybe that's true. Maybe that's what God prefers. But what does it mean if Jesus is overweight and there was a way that his body was kind of outside of whatever the culturally expected norm is, Mm. right? And there's all of these stories about circumcision and whether you have to do it or not. And it's like, how weird that – what if instead of circumcision, we used – we said Uh, modify your genitals. Mm. Should you modify your genitals or not? And if that's the way you read that word, I'm sorry, y'all, but scripture says you ought to Mm. modify your genitals in order to follow God. And Paul has to go into a whole long, lots of chapters (laughs) about why you can be excluded from that, Mm. right? That was not the regular norm. And so is trans being trans the same? No, but wouldn't it be interesting if we just saw some of the words in the Bible as closer to the realities of people that are hard to imagine God loving? Hmm. Um, yeah. Even if the only thing we're trying to do is love our enemies, right? right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, it's it's so it's so awesome to hear you speak. Um, when I I wasn't born in in um, like belief or. I spent most of my early adult life as an atheist um, and um, was fortunate enough to marry a um, 
a, a woman uh, that was way out of my league and but but she was a pk so uh uh, it sort of came with the territory um, and, 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 and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, a, um, like, like believing wasn't part of the package. She, she married me knowing that, you know, I wasn't necessarily that strong, but it was through her grace. And it was just through her example that I, I came to, to see Christ um, in her and then, and then in the world. Um, and I, I'm curious uh, about your thoughts on, on this is that, the, the majority, I would say if there's one fundamental reason why I stayed away from the church for so long was because the people in church were pretty judgy. Um, and, and uh, you know, so I was going to college in UC Riverside. Um, you know, I was living my life however I wanted. And I just thought as soon as if I walked into a church, despite them saying, come as you are, that there is always like, but there was a but at the end, <laughs> you know, come as you are, but you're going to need to put on some pants. that don't have holes in them, you know, <laughs> but if you're going to stay, yeah, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it, it, exactly. So, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious on, on your commentary on, you know, the American church and like, and if it's doing enough about, in, you know, inclusivity, inclusive, did I say that word right? Inclusivity. Yeah. I get my words mixed up. Um, so like, is the church doing enough um, with that? You know, and 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 if not, like like how do we get there? How do we get to a place where where when we say come as you are, we really mean come as you are? Well, that's that's the thing, right? Because like how wonderful to be very evangelical and to have a a group of things that that are orderly ways that if you live your life, you know for sure that God loves you. That we all had that, right? Like every community and every person should have a rubric where the answer on the rubric is that God loves you because that's what I read in scripture. And so I don't want to be someone who makes someone's congregation change to tear down – like I don't want to tear down people's faith if they've got a ladder that helps them get there, right? Um, What I wish that we could do better is say um, our community worships God this way. We know people who are able to welcome you, and um, can we help you fit in with them? So rather than saying God can't love you because we've got it all figured out, what if people said, this is the way we worship God in this place? Um, (laughs) Tell us more about you so we can help be a matchmaker to support your faith, right? If that conversation was about how can we support your faith? in a community that's going to love you. And it truly was not coming from a place of like, you're wrong or bad, or this church is worse, um, but more of a like, we want you to find your people too. Um, now, the problem is, is that if if it's a, a room full of people who have white skin and they're saying, we want you to find your people too, there's a lot of ways that that conversation <laughs> is not going to feel like it's good matchmaking or that it's supportive, right? Yeah. We all have ways that we need to grow and we need to change. And sometimes we need new members of of communities to stick it out through the yuckiness of it to sort of make it possible for people to, to learn to love bigger and – I'm sort of one of those people like, you know, being an openly trans person and being the first in a job is really just a commitment to try to be as kind as possible publicly mm. um, in the midst of whatever happens yeah. in hopes of like, you know, how have you ever walked through like a really big field with tall grass? Someone's got to like walk through it first mm-hmm. or like big tall snow. And so 
sometimes we communities need someone to like be there long enough that people love you and then they begin to care and then they're like, oh, you're right. We didn't welcome you and now we want to welcome – we like you. Maybe we could like more people like you, whatever <laughs> right. that factor is, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we do need people who are willing to like endure the slings and arrows of of being different in communities for the sake of people learning to love in the bigger way that I think God loves. Yeah. Um, but I think we also need to like be better colleagues to other churches around us to like be friends enough with other churches that if people believe differently, instead of seeing it as a violation to God to see it as such a gift, right? Cause if like part of what we believe as Lutherans is that God has a specific call for me hmm. and Part of the way that I don't spend all night feeling guilty that I also haven't done all these other things is I believe God has a specific call for other people and that in the whole community, we're caring about all the stuff God cares about, right. even if I personally don't have all the time and the money to do every single thing God would want done even on this block, right? right. And so the only way that I can like be okay with the stuff I've left undone is to trust that God is empowering people who are the exact opposite of me to do the stuff I'm not good at, right? And so that's that's what I try to do. I try to, as a bishop, um, be like an ambassador to different types of faith communities mm -hmm. so that like if the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and the Baptists and the Evangelicals all get along and there was a way we could all just make sure everyone in town had the ability to talk about Jesus and love Jesus in whatever way floats their boat. And then mm -hmm. sometimes we come together and do stuff we agree on um, so that on the days when we have hard conversations, we've already like... We've all handed out socks together because we can all agree on that, right. even if we can't agree on other political or social issues. And so I think that's perhaps the path forward is people loving and knowing neighboring worshiping communities enough that um, when they know their community is not ready to love or welcome someone the way that a person deserves, that they can say, we're so glad you love God. You can stick it out with us. Here's what we're not good at. Um, or the people down the street are really good at that. You can choose. We'd love to have you, but we know we're not good at that. Right. That, that's um, that's really fascinating. Uh, I went to a um, a college called, uh, well, I won't even mention it, but it was, um, it was a very liberal college. Um, I went to a very conservative college college for undergrad and then spent some years at uh, graduate level. Um, one was very conservative uh, one. And then the other one was uh, very liberal as a Methodist seminary, actually. Um, but it was very, very liberal. And I remember in that um, the experience, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was really shaping for me because I was able to be around people that I um, really deeply disagreed with and had to learn, you know, to uh, articulate what I thought, to articulate my own arguments, to uh, be kind and, and compassionate and gracious and, and, and to listen to people that think very, very differently than I do. But one of the things that, that I got disturbed by was um, <clears throat> the view of Jesus sometimes. 
um, that I that I experienced in in the seminary, almost to the degree that, say, Jesus, um, you know, maybe even wasn't to be worshipped, or uh, you know, or wasn't, um, or was just a man like us. Um, so, sort of like things that in 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 classic right traditional Christianity would be considered heresy. Um, my question is. Uh, what has been your experience, or you can even start with your own, um, what you believe as, as much as you want to talk about it. And then your experience in the LGBTQ community of Christians regarding Jesus, like, would you call it the Orthodox view? Is it the resurrection? Is it like that Jesus, like, was he perfect? Like, I guess there's one pastor, I've forgotten his name. I think he's in California. And he talked about um, how Jesus was like had ra- like was racist against the Syrophoenician woman, um, and so I'm just I'm just curious to hear what you what you think. How do you how do you handle Jesus personally, and then how have you seen it handled kind of in the wider um, LGBTQ Christian subculture? I mean, I sort of I sort of lean into the the like the pastor's response when you're trying to describe the Trinity to a, like a four-year-old right. and they ask you too many follow-up questions like, and it gets know. harder and harder to explain. <laughs> and then at some point the answer is like, well, great is the mystery of our faith. Like, yes, I believe that God is God and I am not God. Um, I believe that um, probably the amount of knowledge of God I have is like just seeing God's big toe and there's so much more to God than maybe I could like ever put in a bound volume of a book. Right. So having said that, uh, there are days when I really delight in the fact that Jesus was a flesh and bone human. Like, I love imagining the idea that Jesus went through puberty because what the heck is the perfect way to go for, through puberty, right? Yes. I like imagining that God was fully, like that Jesus was fully human, but that our ability as families and cities and faith communities mean that even if like a fully God God came amongst us, we still would have our feelings hurt and see that person as human because there's so many different like cultural ways that you're supposed to behave, right? And so I I like uh, that, that Jesus is both and um, there might be days when depending upon the community that I'm reading scripture with, it feels like reminding people of God's divineness is what I need to lean into. And then other days where reminding people of Jesus's humanness right. is what it seems like we need to lean into. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like it really depends kind of on that. Like, I feel like I always hold that both are true, but like where the firm line is, I don't know. Um, it's, I remember the first time, I have uh, two black children and they're aged eight and nine. And I remember the first time they watched um, Godspell and they just started weeping for a reason I never would have imagined. And they said, Jesus has curly hair like us. (laughs) We never knew that Jesus could have curly hair, right? And they were having this like spiritual moment of feeling like they were beautiful because God could be kind of like them. And it's not – I think there are ways in which Jesus exhibiting ways that that he's human – can give us a really deep spiritual connection to God to feel like God would be willing to be like us. I think like 
oh my goodness, can you imagine someone with all of the infinite power in the universe being a baby who can't feed themselves or like needs to wear a diaper? That's Mm. unfathomable, right? So there's something really beautiful in the gift of what Jesus is up to. There is something, I think... I think you kind of need Jesus to be human for the cross to matter because the pain and the suffering of it is part of what the sacrifice is. Um, But I think that there are ways in which um, Jesus is present kind of through time and space. Uh, And like what a gift – maybe this is the whole Bible in general, but like name another thing where – where folk with such diverse viewpoints could read the same book and think, yeah, God's in that, right? We might spend our whole lives fighting about what this text means or what this means for someone's life, but we both agree that like God's in that text. And that's like bananas if you think about (laughs) it. Like I couldn't name another book where so many people could agree on that book or or even a movie, right? Like, And so I just think there's something really beautiful in the mix of – of the humanness and the divineness. I am with you. I think too few people talk about Jesus out loud. I think people in the 60s and 70s um, really wanted to like care for people and wanted people to experience the freedom of the fullness of their bodies. And so they thought maybe if we don't talk about Jesus, like if we don't talk about differences, Maybe it will help pe- help us love other people better if we don't talk about stuff. And then I think in the 80s and 90s, in the midst of the HIV and AIDS crisis, people were telling people in the middle of a plague that they were dying because God wanted them to. And the language is so vitriolic. Um, when Matthew Shepard yeah. died, people were so clear that like hurricanes kill tens of thousands of people because you are terrible. And I think – as the language got more vitriolic and blaming and shaming, I think people were ashamed to be associated with some of that rhetoric. Right or wrong, like you can – like as as I tell my children sometimes, you can think a thing, but you ain't got to say it out loud, right? And so like I, – but I think people were so confident in saying it out loud that there's a whole group of people who – they're afraid that if they say the name of Jesus, though it's their most important central thing in their life, they're afraid that they will stir up for people those same feelings that they had when people told them that they deserve to die in the middle of a plague. And so wow. I think that's part of what's still really hard in the LGBTQ community. There's a lot of people who are faithful. It's right. easier to come out as transgender in the United States than to come out as a Christian in the LGBT community wow. because of the angry rhetoric that happened sure. um, in the eighties, in the eighties and nineties, and it still happens today. Like when the only people on the news are people saying it's because of Jesus that they want them to lose things that they believe are human rights, then it becomes really hard to talk about Jesus in those communities. Sure, but that's why. Um, I'm as publicly out about being a Christian in as many spaces as possible. Like I got this giant cross in my pocket because I'm a bishop. And it's only in my pocket, y'all, because it's actual silver when you're a bishop, and it's so heavy that it actually gives you a neck ache. Wait, wait. Like an hour so, so, so like when you, when you become a bishop, like do all bishops get a big silver cross? 
This it's one of the signs of the office. That's awesome. It has a big purple. It has a purple stone in the middle because in ye olde times, <laughs> they believed that the amethyst would make you not get drunk when you finished the rest of the communion. Nice. Because they used to have to finish all the communion at the end and it was real strong alcohol. Turns out, y'all, it's about a metaphor of sobriety. It's not about – it doesn't actually – prevent hangovers or every college town would be selling amethysts on every corner. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's so crazy. Yeah. You, you know, g- going back to your earlier, your earlier point, I, I'm, I'm curious, like how, how does, I don't know, even evangelism or proselytizing, or I'm not really quite sure what the right term is, you know, how does that, how does that even work in the LGBTQ community? Cause like the, 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 the way, the way I look at it is, you know, like if if I were, you know, a Christian that felt like I had a ministry um, in like the gay community, like I would be there. Hey, hey, guys, you know, you know, that group that always seems to persecute you and uh, always like protests in like the Westboro Baptist Church, you know, like, wouldn't it be great if you were a part of that? like like i I figured like i'd be the worst salesman in the world you know so like how 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 do you you know reach reach a community um save souls from other humans um you know that are just for for, you know for understandably you know for for understandable reasons think that you're like full of crock well, there's, I mean, there's many varieties of doing it. The most popular variety is that you just eat with people and you talk to them. Like, that's what Jesus said. When Jesus said, remember that part of scripture where it says, like, if you have a beef with somebody, go tell them and then go tell them again. And if they still don't li- listen to you, treat them like a tax collector and a sinner. <laughs> Y'all, the way Jesus treated tax collectors and sinners was to eat with them and get to know them. It was not to, like, send them to the other side of town and never be around them. And so I think that. Evangelism in its in its Greek roots means good news. Share the parts that are good news mm. first. Don't share the parts that are like you're terrible first. Um, but I think I, the other thing that I would say is um, in traditions where people are baptized as babies, we believe that the reason you can baptize someone as a baby. Um, so like normally you would baptize someone and they would be able to say like, yes, I love Jesus. They would use their own heart to name their faith. In the traditions that baptize people as babies, we believe that you can borrow someone else's heart, that this community of people who are praying for you, who are putting water on your head, they pledge they're going to love you and name you and claim you throughout your life in the way that God has named you and claimed you already. And they pledge that they're going to teach you about Jesus. There's um, that idea of being able to borrow someone's heart is one of my favorite ideas of Christianity. And it just means like, we're going to root for you no matter where you end up in the rest of your life. What if we meant that, y'all? Like, what if if a community baptized someone as a baby, it meant you had to love them their full life? Not only if they come to your church service, but what if we had to like send them birthday cards their whole life or send them Christmas cards their whole life? And it just meant like, we're going to we're going to root for you. We're going to remind you that God loves you. We're going to do it in that good news kind of way. And I think we do it a little backwards at least in our Lutheran tradition where we expect people to come to a building or we're not going to root for you. <laughs> and 
and I like um, Catholic, the Catholic tradition. They literally go on the map and they draw out an area and they say, that's your parish. You love everyone in that parish. You go, go tell people about the good news at the hospital and at the school and at like all of the places. Like there are priests who just go to basketball games and sit there in their little collars and they cheer for that team. They don't have any kids playing in that game, but they feel that their call is to share good news with everyone on their little space in the map. And I think if you do that in any community and you're truly there to eat with people and to learn about them and love them um, and find out what good news is good news in that, like you got to figure out how to translate. Yeah. Right. You got to, it translates different um, in uh, Texas, the good news, than in South Dakota, than in Berkeley, right? right? And so what does it mean to translate the good news that it, that it might be in, in your particular congregation or in, in, in an evangelical conver- congregation it might be different specks of good news. Like the book of Esther might not be, every, might not be for everybody, mm. right? The book of Jonah might not be for everybody. Um, each sermon that you hear every Sunday isn't always for you. Sometimes it's for the person in grief in the pew next to you. And so I think if we are just consistently being in relationship with each other and we're remembering that the focus is the good news, because um, Jesus says so often in the book of Matthew, the measurement you use to measure other people is the measurement God will use for you. Right. So if that's true, like I'm going to take, let's make that a literal truth. I got no stake in the game of measuring you harshly, because (laughs) if it turns out I'm going to show up in heaven and God's going to use the exact same measurement on me, then I'm going to err on the side of I'm feeding everybody. I'm loving everybody. (laughs) Now, do I do that all the time when I'm crabby? No, I do not. Right. Do I do that every time someone cuts me off on the freeway? No. Right. Or you mess with my kids, whatever the thing (laughs) is. Like, I'm not a perfect person, but during the days when I'm well-resourced, I sure want to just, like, be feeding people. Uh, And I think that other thing is true, too, is that in service projects, you can get the most diverse group of people and get along. Oh, yeah. Right? You can have a casual conversation about God's love while you're handing out T-shirts to people in the midst of of a hurricane crisis. You don't even know the details of people's families most of the time. Here's here's the thing I would say is like oftentimes, probably if you're at a big volunteer event, you probably don't even know who's gay and who's transgender. How would you know someone's mm-hmm. – I hope you don't know people's private parts history <laughs> yeah. every time you go to different places in the world. Right. right. So if you have a different way of treating people when you know the history of their prescriptions – then if you don't know the history of their prescriptions, you're doing faith weird. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. Um, This is my last question for you. Um, So, and I want to make sure I get this out. Like uh, it might take me just a minute to, uh, to describe it and explain it. So I got a ton of stuff in my life that I wish was different, you know, things about me I wish were different, um, a lot of things. Um, and, you know, from the, the idea of being able to accept yourself is very, very powerful. Um, the accept all of you, you know, every part of you as God does. And I believe God does. 
Um, my, I guess when I, so I, I, there's so many things that I wrestle with. Um, when it comes to, you know, your identity or the thing that you've wrestled with, um, and, and now you've come to the place of self-acceptance, which I think is, is great because it's, it's so important. Um, is there any wrestling with it still before God at all? Or is it, is it more like, Hey, this is the best I can do. I don't know. You're going to have to handle all this, you know, in the end, this is the best I can do. And I'm just going to keep living my life the way, the best way I can see it. Trying to, like you said, love people and whatever. Like, I, I guess my question is like, yeah. Do you like, is, is there wrestling still? Do you think there should be wrestling about this? You know, this, I, uh, this, this feeling like you're different, um, you know, like you're a, a woman when you're a biologically male or, or vice versa. Um, what's, what, what is the wrestling there with God? Is there any, or is it, is it just something like, Hey, this is just a, issue I'll wrestle with the rest of my life and I'm going to move through and just do what I think is best. How do you, how do you handle that? I mean, I think I don't wrestle with God as often as I wrestle with how I should be in this particular world. Mm -hmm. Like it is not a safe yeah. uh, world for trans people. Right. Like for example, in, in our office of Bishop, we don't answer the phones live because we get so many lewd phone calls from mm. people of faith. Mm. And so um, I wrestle more with like what, how, what of my choices being public make me personally safe or make right. my kids safe or make other people in my life safe? <sighs> how much of that is like under my own control and how much of it is not under my own control? Yeah. Um, how does it change my work choices? Um, how does it change my ability to be present in people's lives? But I would say that more often than not, um, fear that I will physically be murdered, um, is a thing I think about every day when I choose what clothes I'm going to wear. Really? Or how I'm going to style my hair uh, every day. Uh, every time I get on an airplane, <laughs> Uh, they have those scanning machines where they pick a, pick a pink button or a blue button. And if your flaps and folds don't meet the requirements of the person who is not allowed to ask you if you're a boy or a girl, they will do a deep cavity search on you because someone once tried to put a bomb in their underwear. And so, like, I – every single – there is – I usually do not use public restaurant restrooms um, because when I'm physically attacked in them, it's usually by people of faith. Um, and it's usually in the women's room. Wow. Most people ex expect that it's in the men's room, but purses are heavy, y'all. Um, I have a deep fear of taking my children to a public restroom. Can you imagine? Mm. Uh, most trans people, like 80% of trans people have... Uh, urinary tract infections and kidney issues because they feel so unsafe just going to a bathroom. So I have to choose wow. what kind of public places I can go to based on how long I cannot need to go to the bathroom, which is also the experience of many seniors in our churches, by the way. Um, but there is not a single day where like, and I live in San Francisco. Yeah. 
right? My yeah. kids um, have been attacked um, physically. I have been attacked physically. I There's probably not a week someone doesn't call me the devil wow. on a social media platform. So sorry. Um, and I'm a bishop, you guys. So like, imagine having a job that was less clear that I have thought about <laughs> my place with God, yeah. right? Like it's literally my job to like read the Bible and pray regularly. <laughs> and, and that's how I'm treated. And so I say that not to like, I don't need sympathy, but I say it because um, I can't even imagine making choices based on what I want. And I can't even imagine God being the scariest thing in my life <laughs> in terms of, of how I'm going to be judged by this. Because hmm. um, when people are angry with me, whether it's in person or online, like these laws saying saying you can call Child Protective Services, great. Now the public knows that's a thing. When I work in a congregation and someone's mad about the color of the carpet, they call CPS and say my kids are being raised by a freak and should be taken away. Jeez. In San Francisco, <laughs> right? So when my when I travel with my family, <laughs> we carry a binder because hospitals don't have to treat me or my family. I carry a binder that says that my kids have been seen by therapists and psychologists and that they are and their teachers that says they are safe so that if I travel across state lines, um, my kids won't be taken away just because I happen to be in a public space or was staying in a hotel mm. where someone is not okay with me. And so I like it would be my dream day. To not have to think about those. Like, I have to look up if I can go to the bathroom in a place where I might have a bishop meeting if I fly somewhere. Hmm. And so, um, it would be great if my biggest worry was how God felt for me. Because Paul says, right. in Christ Jesus, there's no longer male or female. Yeah. If there's no longer male or female, I don't know what to do about that, right? But, the, sure, like, I wish that... I had the time and the privilege and the safety to just spend time wondering if if this one small part of my life is mm. is the part that that God is going to hold above all other parts and I don't I don't get that sense from God. My experience of Jesus sure. is that Jesus is always trying to widen the net. Jesus is always telling the disciples there are more sheep than the ones that you recognize. There are many rooms in my house, um, that there are different parts of the geography and different nations. Jesus is always even making more fish and bread than the people who even gathered to listen to Jesus, right? And so I, I, feel, I feel much more um, secure and settled in my relationship with God than I do in my relationship with human beings, if that's yeah, the way to say. Yeah, that, 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 that makes total sense. And and uh, so so my 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 last question, my last question for you, um, you know, so Josh and I come from very different backgrounds. Um, like kind of the whole shtick of our of our podcast is he's like the token conservative, and I'm the you know the flaming liberal, so to speak, and uh, um. And and as a result of that, we we tend to have a very diverse audience, uh, both from uh, from both political parties, faith backgrounds, um, what what have you. And and I and I'm curious. I'm like, what would you say to to a believer that is struggling with who they are 
um, in Christ and not really quite sure like what to do, what to do with that. So, I mean, if, if, if you can just, you know, talk to that person that might be listening to this, um, you know, what, what would you tell that person? Well, I would say if you're struggling with your relationship with God and with Christ, um, start with the things that feel easiest, right? If a hymn is your easiest way to access your connection with God, sing hymns and play hymns. Um, if poetry is the best access point, start there. If scripture is the best access point, start there. Start with the parts that are the easiest and then build upon them. Um, at some point, in order to have a mature faith, you're going to have to read the parts of the Bible that give you the heebie-jeebies, and it's going to be different parts for different people depending upon where they live or their political perspective or whatever it is, right? You're going to need people in community who will challenge you eventually, but if your relationship with Jesus isn't strong yet, just start with growing your relationship with Jesus, right? For some people, it's certain smells or just lighting candles or visiting really beautiful places or going on a pilgrimage finding an inspiring person who can help help with sermons, or maybe it's just handing out bag lunches and, and noticing that. But if the only glimpse of God you get is when the light goes through the stained glass window in the perfect angle, like, hold on to that as long as you can. It's tough times. Like, our world is cuckoo bananas. <laughs> and um, hold, dwell in the faith you have as long as you can, and then and then build on it from the easy space. There are there are some people who believe you have to do it in a certain order or um, embrace the agitating places first. If that works for you, great. Like take that mm. advice, right? Mm -hmm. Then wherever you find faith or whatever works to grow your faith, I am I am going to be all on board with. And then like if you can choose healthier things, choose healthier things. If you can choose more well-rounded things, add them to your plate when you can. Um, start creating rituals and rhythms that will will be comforting when things get hard in your life. When grief comes, when life doesn't go the way you wanted it to, um, when we're in the midst of war, any of those things. So, like, for me, the rhythms of a worship service, of now we sing, now we read Bible, now we do this thing. Whatever the rhythms are that you want to develop, maybe it's just like on Easter and on Christmas, we're going to eat this food, we're going to go be with these people. Mm -hmm. Like start creating some of those rituals so that when a hard thing happens, you can just do the ritual and not have to think <laughs> about it and not have to add extra extra work to your life. Would you, would you add anything different? Um to what you just told me, you know, if you've got, you know, a teenager um, struggling with their own sexual identity, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, they're they they belong in a youth group and every week, you know, they're yeah. they're told, you know, that this particular lifestyle is going to send them straight to hell. And then they're just like, but I really love Jesus, you know, and 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 uh, like, like how, how would you change it or would you change it at all? Well, what I would say is like, same thing. Like if it seems like a young person is going through a hard thing and you need to do less of something that's agitating you and more of something that's going to help you get like secured in your faith, like lean into that. So like we live in a world where there's lots of Zoom, right? 
There are documentaries of people, how people wrestled with their faith um, on Netflix. There are um, Christian LGBTQ country singers who are like writing camp songs. There are even ways you can participate in like like the same kind of vacation Bible school stuff, but with like LGBTQ groups. Um, there's places like Living Out Loud and and other stuff like that. They can go on Instagram and find Bible study groups of LGBTQ people. Um, let them get secure in their faith, and then you can reintroduce them to those other spaces. Because if they know Jesus loves them, they can go back to that same Bible study group and have a really great conversation with people from a position of feeling like God's not going to leave them. But if they're having, if they're in a Bible study group that's um, going to make them wonder if God would rather they were dead, like Joshua was wondering about. You don't want to start. You can't start from that place because. You know, you want your kid to be alive at the end of con- the end of the conversation, mm-hmm. right? And you want Jesus to be the center of their life. And so, every kind of major religion has this time where where young people get to explore, right? Even the Amish will let the kids go off for a couple of years <laughs> and like explore the fullness <laughs> of the world, and then come back and rejoin the community. And so just know that it's normal. It doesn't mean your kid's going to have a faith that's outside of your personal tradition, or they're never going to be able to worship in your congregation again, but give them a little bit of space to fill in um, things that are going to strengthen their relationship with Jesus and with God so that they can re-enter those conversations. Because if Jesus is at the center, even if even imagine a world where in five years they're not going to be LGBTQ, well then they still got to be strengthened in Jesus as they were loved as they were through whatever that process was. Because most young people don't um decide not to do something because their parents hate it. It's usually Right. It's a, usually a part of the process. Uh, it's yeah. a sign of pride mm-hmm. for teenagers. Um, and so I think if you just find ways that you can share a love in God, it uh, doesn't mean you got to go to that youth group. doesn't <laughs> mean you got to like follow sermons on Instagram. But if you nurture your strength and you let them nurture their strength in God and then come together in those ways that work mutually, like that's that's the best case scenario, oh, right? That, that, that's really awesome. You know, I I I, t- I totally forgot. If uh, uh, quickly, what's what's this medal of tolerance you got from from a king? I'm curious about that. Uh, so in Indonesia, Indonesia's the highest population of Muslim um, religion uh, in the, the world, and they uh, I created a short film. Uh, and submitted it to like a film festival and it was selected as like something that was about like caring for the world and humanity and this kind of historical king of the Hindu tradition (laughs) uh, decided that he wanted to honor me along with like 25 other individuals from around the world. (laughs) And, And it was particularly at a time when it was right when, uh, Donald Trump had just been elected and Barack Obama was leaving office. And so there were a lot of things being said about people of the Muslim tradition. Oh, no. <laughs> and there were a lot of things being said about transgender people. And and folk in Indonesia decided they wanted to show that it was not only their tolerance, right? So they were honoring their own tolerance of like, look how open we are. This And at the time I was doing 
uh, homeless homeless ministry and eating with people and caring for people and and so they wanted to celebrate some of the service things that I had done here in the United States, but also uh, show their own tolerance that they were open to people who loved God in whatever way that they loved God. So it was kind of this mutual <laughs> celebration. And it's have you been to Indonesia? It's incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Bali is one of the places in Indonesia. Uh, so uh, it was it was a really lovely trip. It helped me learn more about a really beautiful culture. And, and it was part of kind of my own journey that I spoke about earlier of like, how can we love people regardless of the faith perspective that they're in? Yeah. Um, and I think also the other side of that coin is that we're we're called not only to love our neighbor by serving them, but letting them serve us when mm. they when they want. <laughs> yeah, well, was, so, was this like a real king? Like I'm, I'm think I have like this vision of like coming to America, you know, and like yeah, yeah. It was uh, here. I'll okay, show you. All right, <laughs> the king of tallow in Indonesia. Nice. That's so, right, so here's my certificate. Oh, oh my goodness! And, and for 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 here's the king of challenge. Oh, there. that's so cool. That's amazing. Yeah. So so like uh, for for our our podcast listeners that aren't watching this, um, it if you can picture a king, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, lots of like lots of like military medals, <laughs> fancy Indonesian <laughs> hats, and it says um. Uh, that the Reverend Dr. Megan Rohr is a member of the most esteemed royal family uh -huh, <laughs> for contribution to the promotion of love nice. and care of culture, humanity, social welfare, and tourism. I'm supposed to encourage people to go <laughs> to Indonesia. <laughs> I had to throw nice. that, that, that little line in there. You should go to Indonesia. See, now I Also, have yeah. So if, if any of our listeners plan on going to to, uh, to Indonesia, uh, make sure you let them know that Bishop Megan sent you so that way she can get her, get her punch <laughs> card, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. uh, th yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Bishop. Uh, this yes, this has you. been an amazing conversation. I, I really, yes, really enjoyed you. it. I, I learned a lot. I think our, our listeners are going to learn a lot. And, uh, um, how, how, uh, how, how can people, uh, um, I guess, um, learn more about you and your ministry and, and what have you? Yeah, you can. I'm all over social media. If you even if you type in like Megan and Queer Eye or Transgender Bishop, you're you're gonna find me pretty easy. It's at M M R O H R E R, which is just the ancient Swiss way of saying plumber. <laughs> what really? <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, we'll have to dig that. We'll have to dig more into that next time we have you on. Um, but uh, th thanks again, Bishop, for everything, and uh, yeah, for our viewers and listeners. We yes, will. Thank uh, you so much. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Blessings, everybody.